Hey guys, welcome back to That So Fringy Podcast. I am Rick. And I'm Kristen. And we are back with our False Flag series. You guys have been waiting for this. We've been waiting for this. So much research and time and energy and effort has gone into this. And we're so excited to start the first part of a three-part series on the JFK assassination. That's right. Those of you that are uh, old enough to know, there was a president that we had. He was uh, president number 35. His name was John F. Kennedy, and he was assassinated. It really changed things in our nation, Mm -hmm. right? It really changed things. And as we get into this false flag series, we're going to do what we always do. And we're going to say, you know, we know that in false flags that um, a lot of times there's a lot of casualties. Well, in this false flag, there was actually only two. And those two casualties were um, John John F. Kennedy and uh, Tippett, a Dallas police officer, J.D. Tippett. And so having such a low count, body count, you know, people start to say, is this really a false flag? You know, is this something? And we have to remember that it's not the amount of bodies, right? It's not the, it, it has to do with the bait and switch that we've talked about in this false flag series up until this point right the bait and switch of saying it was this person that did it when it was actually this person that did it if that makes sense to you guys out there so kristen's done lots of work as always on this series she's been putting in the time a lot this time too this is a big one guys this is a big one because there's so much to it and Rick already name dropped the other guy that we're going to talk about later. But mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't just Kennedy that that was was killed this day. So, um, but that's something that we're going to go into when we go down to the you know discrepancies category. But we're going to start with kind of the official narrative, like we like to start with. This is the story that they've given America, and then we'll get into some of the discrepancies and why that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and we'll so, say before we get into the the meat and potatoes of the official narrative, a lot of us know the official narrative, right? We mm-hmm. we've either seen a documentary or a movie, or 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 we knew it from growing up. But how much do or we you really paid attention in school, which I did not? So <laughs> right, how much do we really remember about this whole incident and what all went down, and and the names and the timestamps and all those different things? Those are the things we didn't really pay attention to because we. You know, you're just seeing it on TV. You move along with your life. I mean, obviously, it was a big deal back then for the people. They watched their president die on national TV, and we'll get into that. But um, we just need to remember that, you know, back then there was a lot going on in the world. There was a lot. People were scared about nuclear weapons. They were scared about this whole, uh, you know, state of the world. You got communism on the rise, all those things. So as we get into this narrative, we're going to continue to go back and paint the picture of the world as it was then, because a lot of that stuff, a lot of that context really makes sense um, only in the in the context of, of this story. You know, we have to make sure that we keep everything in the context, because if we if we try to think about this assassination from our vantage point today, it's not going to make that much sense. So. Um, lots to talk about. So let's go ahead and get into it with Kristen laying out the official narrative for you. Laying it out. Let's lay it out. So like Rick said, on November 22nd, 1963 was the day uh, John F. Kennedy, who was the 35th president of the United States, was assassinated. 
He was riding in a presidential motorcade through Dealey Plaza, which is in Dallas, Texas. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's like a area they, they very purposely did it through there so that people could come out and see him and he would get a lot of, you know, FaceTime or whatever you want to call it. So he's in the vehicle with his wife, Jacqueline. He's also in there with Texas Governor John Connolly and Connolly's wife, Nellie. Mm-hmm. And then they had, you know, the driver and the, what were they were Secret Service in the front seats, right? Yes, the other two Secret Service agents. Yes. So that there was a six, um, six people in the car, and it was like a convertible. I'm not sure what kind of car it was, but it was a cool It was an open-top Lincoln. Yeah. So they, they essentially flew into Dallas, got in that car and, and like went straight to this, you know, motorcade route that they had, they had published ahead of time where, you know, where it was going to drive through. They had like really highly publicized and we'll get into some of this later when Rick gives you a little bit of politically what was going on, but they really publicized that he was going to be there this day, this Mm -hmm. route, you know, they wanted people to come out and, and show support. Um, so the official narrative says that former Marine Lee Harvey Oswald was positioned in the Texas School Book Depository Building, which overlooked the Dealey Plaza. And, and that's kind of where he supposedly was shooting from. Mm-hmm. So like we said, we have a ton in, in this series that we're going to go over. So Rick's going to work his magic and put some pictures on for you later on. Um, mm-hmm. probably in part two and part three, we don't really need yeah. to probably do it in this one. Um, so if you're not watching on Spotify or YouTube, um, go somewhere where you can watch the video. Cause he's going to have some, some pictures and some graphics up there that that's going to help, but we'll, we'll explain it the best we can. Cause we know it's just a podcast. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's hard to understand the scope of the, of the story when you don't really understand directionally where things are mm-hmm. coming from and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm being, so and being able several, to see those things. Um, High rise buildings in this area. And then there was this place that uh, you'll hear, you know, time and time again called the grassy knoll, which is kind of just like a grassy area. And then there's a park right on the other side. Hmm. So it's kind of, little bit of everything there's an overpass you know there's just a lot going on in this one little area um so the motorcade so essentially what happened is lee harvey oswald shoots which the what they later identify as three three times three bullets Mm -hmm. three Three whatever projectiles um so he shoots those out of that texas school book depository building which he actually worked at he was you know he was employed there so Kennedy gets shot, that which we'll go into the forensics of that a little bit too later. But then the motorcade then got, rushes to Parkland Memorial, ended up being pronounced dead about 30 minutes after he was shot. Um, Connolly, who was that uh, governor, uh, the Texas governor w- that was in the car, he actually was wounded also, mm-hmm. but he recovered. So, But he was treated at the same at Parkland Memorial Hospital. Um, Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson. So he was the vice president at the time, and he, he was sworn in as president later that day. Like we're talking not not very long after yeah. Kennedy was dead, he was getting sworn in. Like it, it was kind of surreal how fast it happened, actually. Yeah, the timeline of this whole situation is going to be one to really pay attention to. So the shot, mm-hmm. uh, the shots started to ring out around twelve thirty 
on the dot. And and this is where the first injuries began to sustain. And and from there, we were on the clock. And so just mm-hmm. remember that as we go through this, because Kennedy is is pronounced dead at one o'clock, uh, which, which, as Kristen said, is 30 minutes later, but he was actually mm-hmm. dead 10 minutes before that. So really at 12.55 or 12.50, I think it was around 12.50, uh, he was actually pronounced dead, but then they didn't reveal it to the public for another 10 minutes because they wanted to get Lyndon B. Johnson, or or at least the story goes, they wanted to get Lyndon B. Johnson on the plane and get him out of there because right. uh, he was really wanting to get going. Yeah. Because he didn't know what other threats there were. I mean, Right. They didn't know the scope of, of the whole thing yet. Um, so after the assassination, Oswald go, he returned home and he got a, grabbed a pistol and then he shot and killed uh, a Dallas police officer. That was JD Tippett shortly after he goes home, gets the pistol. And then it was only 70 minutes after Kennedy and Connolly were shot that Oswald was apprehended by the Dallas police department. That's some good in, police in work, charge at that you. point. I mean, that's a really fast turnaround. Seventy minutes. It's like ridiculous almost how fast. Like thinking about it now, it's like even with all the forensic stuff that we have that like at our fingertips, you know, cell phones and computers and Facebook lives and all kinds of stuff. Like even that 70 minutes back then, that Mm -hmm. was a really fast turnaround to find this guy and and not just find him, but charge him. Yeah. When you even had, you know, reporters that were saying it was kind of a whirlwind, like they were, they were actually shocked at how fast this investigation or lack thereof had, had happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, definitely. And if you go back, there's, you know, lots of documentaries you can watch, but if you go back and watch some of the footage of the, of the news people, you can tell they're just like, they're shook, you know, they're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this just happened. It was, it was like so crazy yeah you have to you have to think that this is the first time that somebody's been murdered essentially on television on live television yeah this is 1963 the the television is is a basic concept still really at this point we're but you know the screens aren't like people even went to like stores like sears and you know jc pennies and these store these big box stores that had tvs because they put this on like because a lot of people didn't have a tv in their home yet but it was such a big deal that they were like gathering in areas, gathering in, you know, in gyms and all kinds of stuff so they could watch this because it was such a cool thing to get to, you know, just see your president on TV. But especially live, you know, driving through your town. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So um, at, at, on November 24th, 1963, at 1121 a.m., there again they have live television cameras going they're covering oswald Mm -hmm. who's being moved uh through the basement of the dallas head police headquarters and he is fatally shot by dallas nightclub operator jack ruby and this this guy's kind of a a weird character we're not going to get into him much because he there's just too much information but it, it was a very odd odd thing so, so that like Kennedy, Oswald was then, you know, he's shot. So then they take him to Parkland Memorial Hospital where he also mm-hmm. died. And then Ruby ended up being, so he ended up being convicted of Oswald's murder, but the decision was overturned on appeal. 
Okay, so he gets like they overturn it and they're like, okay, never mind, we don't have the stuff we needed. But Ruby ends up dying in prison in 1967 while he's awaiting a new trial. Suspicious. Yeah, so he ends up dying in prison. You know, essentially before he could he could get his second trial even started. I mean, it's also very suspicious that the dude, uh, you know, files an appeal and ends up winning. Like, what does that say for, you know, right. where, where where you get this appeal and you actually get another? That tells you that the case that they had against him in the beginning was was weak, shoddy at best, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then there was the other scene that I'm sure you guys, if you've watched anything on JFK, you've seen this clip of um oswald and he's right after he is arrested and he says i'm a patsy i'm just a patsy Mm -hmm. and everybody's like whatever you know they just took it like hook line and sinker and if you know anything about you know mental emotional warfare type stuff the the first story that they put out is what people are going to remember the most Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. Nobody reads retractions. They put retractions on page 12 of the newspaper and nobody is reading that far. Nobody is going to read that later on. Oh, whoops. This was this, this whole thing was overturned or whatever, because they're going to remember the first story that you told them right after you traumatized them. So you traumatize yeah. them by killing their president and then you tell them this story. And this is what, this is what takes root in somebody's mind. This is how this whole thing works. So. I mean, this is almost exactly like they did for 9-11, right? The news was already telling you what the official narrative oh, was. Yeah. The building I mean, was, fall- were- was standing in the background when they said it was falling <laughs> down. <laughs> right. But in this case, they're, they're report- these, there are so many reporters there, first of all, because this is such yes. a huge event. I mean, this was a massive parade. If you've seen any video of this, if you haven't, go back and look at, you know, find it on YouTube or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just I mean, there was massive crowds of people all along this parade route. It was, it was incredible. You'll have to remind me, is this, this was right about the time that he was going to begin his reelection campaign, correct? So he was like, he was like just uh, yes. ramping up to get started with his reelection campaign. So I that was so. part of why this was such a big deal. And we're going to get into in a little bit, I promise. But uh, there was some political stuff that was going on that was, that was weird. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll come back to that in just a little bit. So there was a 10-month investigation, and then the Warren Commission, mm-hmm. aha, the Warren Commission, concluded that Oswald was assassinated, Oswald assassinated Kennedy, and that there was no evidence that either Oswald or Ruby were part of a conspiracy. Hmm. Yeah, Interesting. that definitely wouldn't happen. Uh, even though Kennedy's assassination is still the subject of widespread debate, obviously it's still being debated and has spawned many, 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 many conspiracy theories and alternative scenarios. Polls found that a majority of Americans believed that there was a conspiracy. So most people in America knew that something wasn't adding up, Mm -hmm. but they, they didn't have access to the world wide web. They didn't have access to podcasts and videos and all kinds of stuff because it was before all this technology had taken off. So they believed what the newspaper said, even though they knew that it stunk. Like they knew that there was something in there that was not right. The majority of Americans by the end of that 10 month investigation believed that there was a conspiracy of some kind. They just didn't know what 
It's kind of like the 2020 election, right? It's like all of the Americans, Mm -hmm. all of the people in America are like something smells about this whole situation and, and we don't like it and we would like to investigate it. And, but it just get, it gets pushed away. Like, no, you guys are crazy, but this is like the the mother of all conspiracy theories. Right. And the other weird thing that I don't know how many people have, you know, connected all of this, but the assassination came at a time where it was it was like extra impactful because it was the first of four like major assassinations during the 60s that happened. So you had JFK started it off. Then you had Malcolm X in 1965. And then five years before the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. And then mm-hmm. Kennedy's brother, Robert, was assassinated in 1968. So all this, there's four of these like high profile assassinations all in one year. So if that doesn't scream programming, then you guys should probably turn the dial up a little bit because you're not hearing me. This is programming <laughs> one after the other after the other. Yeah. They traumatized you, re-traumatized you, re-traumatized you, and re-traumatized you to the fourth degree with all of these. And it was like it was done very purposeful. And if, how, like I said, how many if, you've, of them were... if you've studied any type of you know mental warfare, this is this is typical. Yeah, it's a psyop for sure. Mm-hmm. To, to be able to program a brain, you need that trauma, right? How many of those right. murders were televised out of the four? I don't know. I didn't look into that. I just it just that would came be worth, to me. Worth looking into though. If anybody out there wants to do some more super sleuthing, that would be awesome. Yeah, so we we've got we've got JFK going to a town where a lot of people would say is mostly in support of him, obviously right. by the turnout, the amount right. of people that were there. So it was almost a shock and it's awe middle campaign. America. I mean, it's like yeah, just based on the location, right? They <laughs> picked the, they picked a certain location, and, and because we're going to come down to it, right? At the end of this, where we're all going to find out that we believe it's a conspiracy, duh, right? Right? We believe, like, spoiler alert, we're going to get I mean, to if, that. If most Americans in the '60s believed it was a conspiracy, I think we've we've done some we've done some progression since then. Yeah. And I mean, up until this point, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, if you haven't been paying attention, like there's some people out there that have gone. I mean, this is one of, as we said, this is the mother of all conspiracy theories. There's so many people Mm -hmm. that have researched this. There's so many people out there that have podcasts that are just dedicated to this. And you could probably learn so much about this. But the reason that we're doing it is because we want it to be under this umbrella of false flag where we understand that Mm -hmm. there's lots of this happening and it's all happening by our government. And there's a reason why it happens. And there's there's a very distinct reason if you go into this a little bit deeper, which we are going to, you'll find that this was very much orchestrated and uh well and then at all shocking. all these false flags have a a political tilt i mean mm. they all they all changed the climate of politics in in some fashion so oh, yeah. it wasn't just big you know terrible murder events they then you know what's the saying never let a good tragedy go to waste they then then took that tragedy and and ended up changing the climate politically 
Oh, yeah. So let's do a little bit of, I don't want to spend a ton of time on Lee Harvey Oswald, but just to give you a little bit of a background. So again, when you start seeing, it was like, okay, so when I was growing up, I had a Sunday school teacher and she would always say, if you see themes in the Bible that they keep talking about over and over and over again, you should probably pay attention because those are Mm -hmm. things that are important. So this is the same idea of, if you keep seeing things being repeated, so Lee Harvey Oswald was in the military. He was a Marine. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, so he was born in 1939. He ended up serving in Japan and in the Philippines. Uh, and he was actually a big proponent of communism. Mm-hmm. So after accidentally shooting his elbow with an unauthorized handgun and fighting an officer he ends up being court-martialed twice and then demoted (laughs) and that's what they call a dependency discharge after claiming his mother was disabled so Mm. my mom's disabled i need out send me home so So what they do right so i can take care of her so then he he ended up defecting to the Soviet Union. And in 1960, he's living over there and he begins working at a factory. And then he meets his wife, Marina Pruskova. She's got an odd last name, but I'm assuming that's how you say it. And then they end up having one child. So he has mm-hmm. one kid. So then in 1962, which I don't know if his mom was with him in the Soviet Union because if he got out of the military to take care of his mom, but then he took off to the Soviet Union, I, something doesn't seem right there, but I'm not exactly sure. It almost so, seems like he 19... was wanting to get out of the military. Right. It's like, like he was trying like to escape something from frightened the military. Maybe? I don't know. Because like I don't know how a person shoots themselves in the elbow. I mean, right. it's With a handgun he the... wasn't even supposed to have. So first of all, he would know the rules of what he was supposed to have and what he wasn't supposed to have. And then I would like to see the situation in which a person shoots themselves in the elbow. This is right. such a, like, how? You can't make this stuff up. Right. And, and then he's he, like, and I then don't he gets really in a want fight with hurt. an officer, which you know, if you get in a fight with an officer, you're going to be court-martialed. Could For be. For those of you that are watching, is this how it Maybe goes? Maybe he like leaned on it, and then I don't know. I don't know, but it's better than it shooting seems... yourself in some other areas that people typically have holsters in. So it's true. elbow is probably your. Uh, so he's your kind voice. of on the outs. He doesn't like the military. Right. Apparently, he wants yeah. to get out. He wants to. And be it a communist. almost makes me wonder if, yeah, like he uncovered something. Did he see something? Did he become part of a group that he, you know, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know, but it does seem like he was trying, you know, quick, fast and in a hurry to get out of the military. And then he ends up going to the Soviet Union because he loves commun- communism so much. I don't yeah, know. There's a lot of conspiracy stuff surrounding him, you know, because yeah. a lot of people say, and I think it can be proven now, is that he never even worked at that book depository. Right. He never actually worked there. He was not and- a documented employee there. Yeah, and yeah. and that, those are some of the discrepancies that we're going to get into. But this yeah. is how weird this situation is, right? Is when you right, we're when only you, on like page two of the notes, and we've already <laughs> <laughs> we've already got all these red flags. Like, whoa! And this is why it's so, a conspiracy, and nobody in America right. believes it is because it's like nothing makes any sense. The dude didn't even work there, and he's a communist, and now he's going. It's like what is happening here? Mm-hmm. So let's get into. So in 1962, he ends up coming back to the United States with what they call a re a repatriation loan. Sorry, mm. that one. I really butchered that one. I like um, it, but it's basically a loan that you get from the U.S. Embassy 
And they, so if you're in a foreign country and you need to get, you need to go home, they will give you a loan at the, if you go down to the U.S. embassy, they'll give you a loan to get home. But then as soon as you get home, they'll pay for like your flight and, you know, your hotel or whatever. And, but then as soon as you get home, that loan starts and you have to repay it. So Mm -hmm. this is, I don't know if they still do that. But essentially, if you're stranded in a you know foreign country, you can go to the embassy and they would give you this repatriation loan to come to come back home. So in 1962, he does that, comes back to the United States, and then uh, let's see. I don't think that we need to go. I just don't know why that. What's your credit score have to be in order to get a repatriation? <laughs> I know. You know, like, do they I don't even, even know if they that? do them anymore, but it was a big deal back then because, you know, we had soldiers over, you know, you they leave and then if they if whatever happens and they end up getting out or they end up needing to come home, you know, mm-hmm. we had a lot of, of people stranded in other countries at that at that time because travel just wasn't as easy as it is now. Um, yeah. So then in April of 1963, he goes back to his birthplace, which was New Orleans, and he he ended up establishing an independent chapter of, it was a pro-Castro fair play for Cuba committee, of which he was the sole member. Hmm. So he makes an independent chapter of this, uh, (laughs) I know. He's like a one-man band. But he's the only member. He's still waiting (laughs) for his friends to show up. He's like, I we got know. breakfast burritos and coffee in the back if anybody's interested. Mm-hmm. So then, the, the, you know, this is one of the, and I only bring that up because this was one of the few things that, you know, popped up on his record. While pa- while he was passing out this pro-Castro literature, mm-hmm. um, he ends up getting arrested after kind of getting into a little scuffle with the anti-Castro Cuban exile group. So he ends up getting a little, gets arrested for that. And then in September of 63, he goes to Mexico City, where, according to the Warren Commission, he visited the Soviet and Cuban embassies. Mm-hmm. So nobody really knows. You know, you're not privy to that information, apparently, of what he was doing, talking with the Soviet and Cuban embassies. But again, this screams, I don't want to be in America. I don't want <laughs> to be part of America anymore. Yeah. So I don't know if they were you know, if they were, you know, leading him in this direction or leading the paper trail in this direction to make it sound like he was just a crazy, you know, wanted to defect from the United States entirely. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but those are kind of his footprints before the, the day of, of what happened. So then on October 3rd of, um, 63, he ends up returning to Dallas and, According to the official narrative, he finds work at the Texas School Book Depository, which is in Dealey Plaza. Mm. So during the work week, supposedly, he lived separately from his wife, Marina, and he was essentially staying at like a Dallas rooming house. And th- so I don't, I'm not exactly sure where she was, and I really didn't care to go down that rabbit trail. But uh, he, so he's living in this Dallas rooming house during the week by himself. On the morning of the assassination, he carried a long package, which he told his coworkers contained curtain rods. So he yeah. shows up to work. His coworkers are like, what's in the bag? Because it's this big, long bag, which uh, 
whatever. I think he would know how to break down a weapon and, and probably get it in a little easier. But he's like, oh, it's just a bag of Puritan rods and just takes that into the depository. And that's the so the Warren Commission ended up concluding that the this package is what contained Oswald's rifle. Hmm. So that's how he got it in there. Yeah, you're going to keep hearing this Warren Commission over and over and over again. And just to get that yeah. out of the way, this is a this is a commission of guys uh, that were appointed to um, by Lyndon B. Johnson. It, it was a uh, executive order right after the assassination of Kennedy to set up this commission. And it wasn't initially called the Warren Commission. It's called something else. But right. that's what everybody knows it as today because mm-hmm. the guy – the chair, the, the the guy that was heading it was, uh, his last name was Warren. And so that's why they call it the Warren Commission. So this executive order put all that into motion. And a lot of the information that we have uh, from this investigation is from that Warren Commission. Um, so you have to take into account where did they get that information? You know, are they getting it from the FBI? Are they getting it from local sources? Are they getting it from eyewitness account? All of those different things, um, which it all, you know, is laid out where they got it in the in the Warren Commission. But uh, that's where a lot of the discrepancies come from is also the right. Warren Commission's official <laughs> document because yes. uh, it's just shady is all get out. So. Anyway, for those of you that may not understand the the scope of what we're talking about when we say Warren Commission, that's what we're talking about. Right. Yep. So let's. I don't really want to go. I don't really want to talk about Oswald anymore because I really there's going to be more stuff on him later when we get into the discrepancies and stuff. But so let's just move on a little bit to the day of. So the motorcade had a ten mile route that was going through Dallas. And it was basically, like we said, to give him maximum exposure to the crowds mm-hmm. because it was such a cool thing. So, and he'll, and he he'll put on some for stuff. the top to be off. He, that Correct. was actually yep. him. That and there that. was another con- convertible behind them that had a more, there was, so there was four, I think there was four motorcycle police officers, Dallas police officers. And then there was another um, convertible behind that had, you know, other people obviously in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they go down main street and in, in downtown Dallas, and then they turn right onto Houston street. So if you guys want to look at, look it up or, you know, Rick can flash it on the screen or whatever that we have some mm-hmm. drawings of it or it, there, it's really easy to find. Just type in the, you know, JFK route on the assassination day. Yeah. Um, so he De- turns right Dealey Plaza. onto Houston street. Yeah. Dealey Plaza, D-E-A-L-Y. E-Y. I believe. D-E-A-L-E-Y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So they turn onto Houston Street and then go another block, and then the motorcade was to was supposed to turn left onto Elm Street, pass through Dealey Plaza, and then they were going to do a really short like segment of the Stemmons Freeway, and then and then head back to the trademark. That was that was the route that was planned. Um, and like I said, it was in the newspaper, and people did bring up like, "Hey, I don't know that we should be." saying what the route of the president is as he's driving through town like this doesn't seem you know there was there was people that were concerned that there might be hostile protesters or you know what have you which rightfully so especially Um, the secret service i would i would think that they would be saying something about that you would think (laughs) and you know rick's gonna get into some of the political climate in a little bit but there was an incident it was like a month earlier where um let's see 
Kennedy's UN ambassador. Last name mm-hmm. is Stevenson. So he ended up, he had been spit on by it, by in Dallas, like a month earlier. So mm-hmm. people were rightfully a little concerned about the route being so highly publicized. Sure. And then Rick said, you know, the Kennedy and limousine enters Dealey Plaza at 1230. Um, Nellie Connolly. So she turns and comments to Kennedy, who is sitting behind her. She says, Mr. President, they can't make you believe now that there are not some in Dallas who love and appreciate you, can they? So mm. it was kind of like a flippant, jokey, you know, like, yeah. pe- oh, oh, people thought that you weren't going to be accepted down here or whatever. And, and, and look at how many supporters you have. Yeah. So then Kennedy replies to her, no, they sure can't. And those were his last words were, wow. were spoken to uh, Nellie Connolly. So from Houston Street, the limousine made the planned left turn onto Elm, and then they were passing by the book depository. As they continue down Elm Street, multiple shots were fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't. So this is where this is the official narrative, guys. Remember. So this number, I don't believe. I highly don't believe to be accurate. But they said. <laughs> Out of the interviews, 80% of the witnesses recalled hearing three shots. And that was it. Ooh, I just hit my microphone. Sorry, guys. So they only reported hearing three shots. Yeah. So, and, and uh, you know, witness interviews, especially right after a traumatic thing like this, you can lead a witness down whatever trail you want to lead them down in, in the aftermath of something this traumatic. But... That's the official narrative. 80% of them all heard three shots. According to the Warren Commission. According to the Warren Commission. Right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and then they said there was one big shot, and then there was uh, two others that were, you know, bunched, more bunched together. So shortly after uh, Kennedy began waving, some witnesses heard the first gunshot. There was actually very few people in the crowd or the motorcade that even reacted, honestly, because there was so much you know, cheering and fanfare and, you know, people were excited and they thought that it was a f- kind of the same thing. If you go back, here's another running theme is chaos, right? So mm-hmm. like the, like at the Vegas shooting, people thought it was firecrackers or a car backfiring or, right. you know, they, your mind will make up all of these things that you heard to essentially to protect you from what you really heard, which was you just heard your president get shot. Right. Right. So they think it's a firecracker or a backfire or whatever. Um, So then within one second of each other, governor Connolly and Mrs. Kennedy turned abruptly from their left to their right. So obviously whether they heard the shot or not, because it's not really clear from any of them, whether they heard the shots or not, obviously there there was aftermath right so mm-hmm. it only takes them one second independently to so it, that makes me think that they probably didn't hear the shot they probably either like i mean not to be gruesome but you know jacqueline kennedy had brain matter she well, had the first, blood. Uh... they had stuff on them and then obviously Connolly had been shot himself mm-hmm yeah, so, the first shot that that happens is, or the first 
reaction that you see uh, if you if you watch the Zapruder film, which we're going to get into, obviously, but mm-hmm. th- there are several shots that happen, uh, several reactions that Kennedy has. One of one of the major ones that he has is when he puts his hands up to his neck. For those of you that are watching, he puts his hands up to his neck with his elbows really high, mm-hmm. and uh, that's like- the first indication that something has happened differently. And I don't know if he, you know, obviously I wasn't in the car, but he, who knows if he let out a moan or a, or a really weird sound. Obviously, if you just got it shot, probably. In the neck. I mean, if it hit him right here at the base, it hit, it would have probably gone through part of his voice box, which would have probably made a very odd sound. It would mm-hmm. it would have been a it probably would have been a screechy, high pitched sound of some kind. And then losing, you know, a lot you, of times you would be it, losing air. Right. It would be like a, a hissing probably Mm -hmm. would be my assumption i've had patients obviously being a nurse that have had a you know like a trach and it makes a weird sound sometimes like especially if if you are introducing liquid to it like blood and other stuff so it, it probably made a sound and then obviously um the governor is then shot pretty quickly afterwards so i i don't know it, yeah. it would have, and you it have, would to have stack just been, and then it up. would have just been chaos, I'm sure, in, in everybody's mind. Yeah, you realize that when when Jacqueline looks over, she's trying to kind of. It's almost like she's inquisitive, like what's what's wrong, you know? Like it's not really that big of a deal, except for the fact that he's he doesn't can't talk and he can't really give any indication other than his arms just being up in the air, you know? Almost and he like can't he's choking. he can't breathe like you know like your normal. Inhale through the nose, mm-hmm. exhale through the mouth. When you've got a trach, it's a, you're using different muscles in your chest actually to mm-hmm. to do some of that. So it would have just been a very foreign, terrible feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so then later on, Connolly did testify that he could not see Kennedy. So he started to turn because he he actually Connolly did say that he heard the sound of what he thought was a rifle. So he turns from his right to his left and said he couldn't really see what was going on. So he turned his head and was facing like, according to him, 20 degrees left of center. Mm. He was struck in his upper right back by a shot and that he did not hear that one. And then Mm -hmm. he shouted, my God, they're going to kill us all. So Mm -hmm. that was McConnell's McConnelly's um, reaction, you know, right after. And then again, according to the Warren commission, Kennedy was waving to the crowds and he was shot. Uh, Okay. This is the fun part, Rick. Don't, you're not going to explode yet. Nope. He was shot, entered his upper back and exited his throat just beneath his larynx. Okay. Okay. So this is the official narrative. Mm -hmm. Keep that in mind because that's going to come into play big time later on. Um, And at that point is when he raised his elbows, you know, kind of clenched his fist in front of his face and neck. And then he leaned forward and kind of to the left. And then Mrs. Kennedy, who's facing him, put her arms around him because he kind of, you know, fell forward at that point a little bit. And she was kind of, I think, trying to, you know, like what's going on, trying to figure it out. He's probably going into shock and from the bullet to the throat and he's, and he can't breathe. And so he's probably wide eyed struggling to breathe at this point. And she's trying to not only figure out what's going on, but he's probably knows in his mind that he's been shot. And so he's probably trying to get down a little bit. And she she had just heard, uh, my God, they're trying to kill us all. So Mm -hmm. 
obviously at that point she it's just it's just chaos but she knows kind of what's going on um so this would have been a serious wound obviously coming through his back and coming out his lair next but it it probably in all likelihood would have been survivable because of where it was he would have still been able to get oxygen it would have Mm. been difficult and it would have been terrifying i'm sure and it you know but he would have still been able to get oxygen at that point so he it probably would have been survivable but it it would have been obviously a very serious but not a mortal wound um so then there's this whole which rick you can probably get into but the warren commission has this single bullet theory so which is also it's also called the magic bullet theory so whichever they're kind of interchangeable but Uh, They say this was a term come up by conspiracy theorists. Mm -hmm. Uh, Governor Connolly was injured by the same bullet that exited Kennedy's neck, which we will get into why that doesn't make any sense. But that's what they said was there was this magic bullet that somehow went through Kennedy, bounced through there, and then it came out the larynx and then moved you know, inches over this way and it this the forensics of it don't line up. But yeah, this is what so if you hear single bullet theory or magic bullet theory, that's that's what they're uh Yeah, this whole idea to. came from uh this guy named Arian Spector. He was um he was a staffer in the Warren Commission and it was mm-hmm. his bright idea. This guy had to be a physics genius in order to come up with this idea that this bullet um, made 90 degree angles uh, to Mm -hmm. be able to fly and make all of this stuff happen. Obviously this didn't happen. Anybody that knows their way around a rifle or around bullets or anything like that, we know that this didn't happen. However, for the official narrative, this is a staffer by the name of Arian. This is what we're going with for now. Who claims that this is how this happened. And they actually have a bullet and I'll put this on the screen right now. And there is going to be a magic bullet that you see right now. And the thing that you're going to find about this magic bullet is it's fully intact. Isn't that so lucky that they were able to retrieve (laughs) the entire bullet after it just took 90 degree angles through several bones, shattering certain people's bones throughout this travel of flight. And they were lucky enough to find it fully intact after all of that. Man. I, and I you think know, they found it on the gurney. Was it on the gurney? At the it was just kind of laying there. It was just kind of laying there. It kind of just like fell out. Fully intact bullet. Yeah. But whatever. Well, the so weird thing according about, to the narrative. Just, let's just be real here. I can't with this. If you this find one really it, gets Rick. If you find it on the stretcher, right? Whose stretcher did we find it on? They say Kennedy's, right? They say they found it on Kennedy's stretcher. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, the the whole thing that this specter tard is telling us is that it ended up Spectard. in the thigh of Connolly at the end. Correct. Right. So that's the end point of the magic bullet, according to their very specific and ridiculous diagram. And it ends up in his thigh. So how did it get on a gurney of another person? Shouldn't it, I mean, if it's going to fall out fully intact, you would think that it would fall out at least on the gurney of Connolly. 
especially considering they weren't sitting side by side. They were sitting in separate rows of the seating. Like they weren't even side by side. So here's a fun, this'll, this is, this is a, we'll take a a bullet journey here. How about, Mm. so the bullet creates an, this is the official here. Okay. It creates an oval shaped entry wound near his right shoulder. It struck mm-hmm. and destroyed several inches of Connolly's right fifth rib, exited his chest just below his right nipple, puncturing, collapsing his lung. And then that same bullet then entered his arm just above his right wrist and shattered his right radius bone. The bullet then exited just below the wrist at the inner side of his right palm and finally lodged in his left thigh. So there's a nice bedtime story you can tell your kids. The, the bullet journey. Here's the bullet journey. Have you guys journey. ever seen that? What's that cartoon? You used to get the <laughs> the Sunday morning comics, you know, out of the newspaper. And you'd, mm-hmm. you'd go to Dennis the Menace and you've got, you know, his mom asks him to go do something. And he goes out the front door and he goes like up the tree and around and towards and this goes, cat. Like, the and the opposite direction. Through the pool and around. Yeah, and he ends up in the long way, gets to his destination. Well, this mm-hmm. is what this bullet did. This mm-hmm. it's exactly. a Sunday morning it's cartoon. Bullet, Rick. It's so <laughs> dumb to think that this bullet is going to be doing ninety degree angles at such a velocity, mm-hmm. like it, it, it's physically impossible. It's yep. it's physically impossible. And I'm going to leave it with that. So, right. So as now. we're continuing on, yeah. Put a, let's just put a pin in that for now. We're going to put a pin in it. Yep. So then as the limousine passes by the grassy knoll, which you're going to hear more about this area, um, mm-hmm. Kennedy was then struck a second time by a fatal shot to the head. So this is the, this is the probably visual that you've all seen a hundred times where it's, he's getting shot in the head and that's when he crumples fully into the, into the car. And then you of course see, his wife head out the back and you know, you've got secret service people jumping on the car, which we, we are going to break all that stuff down and, and why uh, this, some of this narrative doesn't make any sense, but um, we're just kind of sticking with the official narrative for now. So the Warren commission ends up making no or third bullet. Oh, whether this was the second or the third bullet that hit him in the head. They just couldn't figure it out. They had, they had this, yeah, other perfect bullet, but um, so that the second strike to Kennedy entered the the rear of his head, then passed in fragments through the skull. So that bullet did fragment when it hit it when it hit the skull, and it created a large, roughly ovular hole on the on the rear right side of his head, and then it ends up spraying, obviously, you know, blood and fragments all over the place mm-hmm. um it he landed got, as actually, the, the blood spatter and all that stuff landed as far away as the the following secret service car and the motorcycle officers so they they even got you know blood spatter from way back there so that right. tells you that it was coming fast and in a hurry this bullet mm-hmm. in the other direction <laughs> i can't right I'm trying well, to be. I'm trying to be good. I I've got my handcuffs on over here, very <laughs> politely. Spoiler alert: We don't think the bullet came from the way they said it came. 
I mean, they're saying, so they're saying just to lay this out for people, just because it's, it's interesting to see you've, you've got it coming from behind, right? And it's coming mm-hmm. and it hitting him in the, in the upper right rear of his head mm-hmm. and all of that splatter sprayed backwards and landed on the car behind him. So all of velocity is going forward. All of motion is going forward. And then physics tells me that once something's in motion, it's going to continue in that motion, right? Just like when I, mm-hmm. just like when I wreck my car and I continue to go forward and I slam into the windshield if I'm not wearing my seatbelt, right? Or all of the contents of my car is going to hit the front of the mm-hmm. car. Anything that's not secured right. is going to go forward. We know this. This isn't. This isn't rocket surgery that we're talking about here. We're talking about them shooting him in the back of the head and it sprang backwards. This is the official narrative, just to be clear. Correct. And they were they were going pretty at a pretty slow clip. I mean, they weren't the motorcade wasn't going super fast. Twelve miles an hour. So yes. So you've got this Secret Service agent who his name was Clint Hill. He was the one that was riding on the running board of the car that was right behind uh, the Kennedy limousine. So he testifies to the Warren commission that he heard one shot and then he jumped onto the street and ran forward to the running board of the limousine to protect Kennedy. And then he says that he heard the fatal headshot as he reached their Lincoln, which was approximately five seconds after the first shot that he heard. And then it sounds to me like most of the people between, you know, they heard the first shot and then second and third shots, it was, they couldn't really make out what was the second, what was the third. I don't know if if it it was because they came that fast or if it was just because there was so much, you know, screaming and banter going on, but he couldn't, he couldn't tell, but he does know that that it was either the second or the third shot that was approximately five seconds after the first shot. If you're going to fire a gun in that area, you're going to get a lot of echo and blowback just mm-hmm. because of the amount of mm-hmm. buildings that are in there, right? So if anybody's ever fired a weapon, you always get that initial crack and then you get that long distance. Right. You know, it right. it has that ricochet effect, those long things. very distinct. So that bullet is going to hit long before you hear the sound in that mm-hmm. area. And then it's going to bounce off of the different right. buildings. Which so should... It, tell you again with the vegas shooting they picked an area that had these high-rise buildings because of this whole echo effect mm-hmm. this was like it the og of people. the echo effect right they realized it works so well for this one let's keep doing it right yeah same same they, way that two planes took down three towers that's right so they collect three bullet casings which is why mm-hmm. we keep saying that they're stuck in this official narrative the warren commission is stuck to have to prove three bullets were used those are the, that's but all only they by did. one man because there was a lone gunman it was a lone mm-hmm. gunman they they were very adamant about that they had their guy Lee so their Harvey burden Oswald. Of, their burden of proof is to say that this one dude did it from this one window and right. he did it so fast that he was able to reload with a bolt action three times and able to get all of those shots on target that quickly. Um, and then with a moving car that was coming up on an overpass and other obstacles and not hitting anybody else in the crowd, not hitting anybody anywhere. 
This so, is why this is the mother of all conspiracy <laughs> theories, because you can't even get through the official narrative very far. I mean, we're not even very far into the official narrative. Mm-hmm. We we're haven't even gotten to Parkland yet. And right. you, you see all of these discrepancies. Mm-hmm. So powerful. So work. then after the, after the fatal headshot, um, you see in the, in the film, Mrs. Kennedy, she, she essentially begins climbing onto the limousine's trunk. Like she's trying to get out of the car. Cause I don't know what the secret service guy is yelling at her or I, you can't there's no audio to it. So you can't really tell later exactly on you find the exchange. Jackie was actually bailing trying, out onto the trunk. She was actually trying to get brain matter, uh, from if she was in a state of shock, uh, later mm-hmm. on, we find she was trying to actually retrieve portions of his brain from the, and I know that's gruesome and I apologize, but that's what she was actually going to do was trying to retrieve some right. of that. So it was actually that secret service agent Hill that, that said essentially she was not climbing out of the car. She was trying to retrieve fragments of her husband's skull off of mm-hmm. the trunk. So he jumps onto the limousine's bumper and then he clung to the car as it exited the Dealey Plaza and sped to Parkland Memorial Hospital. I don't know. I didn't even look to see. Was he riding on the car the whole time? Did they stop at some point? Mm-mm. I'm not sure if, if he was on the car. All I know is that in, in the, all the footage, he's on the, the running board that whole time. He's on the back of the car. They actually yeah. have like little feet things so where he right. can put his foot on there and he's holding onto the back and he's riding that car the whole time. They hit the yeah. freeway and they head right. To and the and they were gone. Like they were, I mean, they didn't even really stop. They slowed down, but I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> There's discrepancies here too. So I'm not sure, but did he slow uh, down? Weird. Did they slow down? I don't why know. He, why anyway, the but it was down? almost like they, they had a target destination. Like they, they Mm -hmm. knew that they were actually going to, you know, the hospital. Um, So after Mrs. Kennedy, so she ends up going back into her seat, Um, governor and Mrs. Connolly, they both heard her repeatedly saying, and this is her quote, they've killed my husband. I have his brains in my hand. Mm -hmm. She's like, just like a mantra saying this over and over and over again, because she is that Traumatized. traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do a little bit of as some of the aftermath in Daly Plaza. So mm-hmm. as the motorcade leaves Daly Plaza, some of the witnesses, you know, obviously some of them ran for cover. Others kind of joined the police officers and ran up the grassy knoll because they were looking for the shooter. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have some concerned citizens who maybe knew which direction things had come from. So this actually, this that this is in the official narrative is kind of interesting that they were all running towards the grassy knoll area, not just the police officers, but there was witnesses, bystanders that that were in in search of the shooter going up the grassy knoll. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a, like a picket fence back there and no shooter was found behind the picket fence. So, which obviously they end up finding him later on, which we kind of already went over. So there was 178 witnesses who testified to the Warren commission after the fact, 78 of them were unsure of the shots origin. 49 believed that they came from the depository and 21 thought that they came from the grassy knoll. So that was the breakdown of, of where people thought that the shots were coming from. 
So it was kind of, you know, a mixed bag, I guess. Yeah, and it would be, again, when you have the echoes mm-hmm. and everything like that. People are going off of what, what they heard at the, in the moment. Right. And, if, and if there was another shooter on the grassy knoll, then obviously those people running in the direction of that, Mm-hmm. Where, where that sound came from they're probably going that way for a reason right mm-hmm. i mean they're, they're and your not just instinct would be to up. run to where you hear the loudest sound right that would be mm-hmm. the the thing that would get your attention immediately would be the loudest sound and then followed by the ricochets so that that this the fact that they were headed towards the grassy knoll is is sus yeah and i'm just going to do a shout out to my texans because good on you for running at the shooter right i know they just ran right at them they were like let's get them yeah that's what i'm talking so about obviously n- no witnesses saw anybody over there like actually physically saw a person with or without a gun they didn't they didn't see anybody over there um but lee bowers who was in a two-story railroad switch tower so this tower is like 120 yards behind mm-hmm. the grassy knoll picket fence. He's watching the motorcade from this two-story rail- railroad tower. And as he's watching the motorcade, he has like an un- unobstructed view is what they said of the only route by which any shooter could flee the grassy knoll. And he saw no one leaving the scene. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Interesting. Keep that in mind for later on. Okay. So he ended up testifying later on with at the Warren Commission that one or two men were behind were between him and the fence during the assassination. One was a familiar parking lot attendant and the other one wore a uniform like a county courthouse custodian. So mm-hmm. very specific. These were the only two people that I saw in this area during the assassination. One guy, I know him because he's the parking lot attendant. And the other one was dressed as a county courthouse custodian. And those were the only two people that, that were even visible from this guy's tower where he was watching it from that, that were, you know, around that area. Sure. So he ended up testifying that he saw some commotion on the grassy knoll at the time of the assassination. And then something out of the quote, something out of the ordinary, a sort of milling around, but something occurred in this particular spot which was out of the ordinary, which attracted my eye for some reason, which I could not identify. So there was some kind of scuffle. There was some kind of, and, and is that these men that are run over there looking for the assailant? Hmm. Don't know, but something out of the ordinary, a sort of milling around. That doesn't sound like a bunch of, you know, concerned men. Like you just shot my president trying to find somebody so it the whole thing is just so odd it's just so odd so then at 12 36 there is a teenager named amos Eunice. so he approached the dallas police police sergeant dv harkness and he wanted to report seeing and i quote a colored man leaning out of the window with a rifle on the sixth floor of the depository during the assassination mm. yeah okay. so in response to that, which obviously 1236 is right after this happened. Um, and so in response to that, Harkness then radios it, it in and they seal off the depository at that point. And Rick is having a coughing fit. <laughs> and I'm back. <laughs> <clears throat> what happened? You okay there, man? I guess. 
Okay. Power through. Here we go. All right. Um, let's do a little. There we go. See his cute little. Let's just clear it hot out. Pink. <clears throat> That's so fringy cup. It helps me to drink uh, cool liquid to help my throat. Oh, and I drink my orange juice out of my That's So Fringy cup. Looky there. Look at that. We're not even sponsored and we're so good at this. <laughs> anyway, so that's when at that point, that's when they seal off the depository building. So then there was another witness, Howard Brennan. He approaches a police inspector to report seeing a shooter, a white man in khaki clothing in the same window. So this also just shows you what trauma can do to people. You right? It's it, it splinters people off. It fractures your mind enough that one guy says he saw a colored man leaning out of the window with a rifle and the other guy says no it was a it was a white guy wearing khaki clothing mm -hmm. so obviously you get witness statements that are all over the place but these are two you know wildly different people that these people saw so they broadcast brennan's description of the man at 12:45 so at 12:36 they they radio in colored man on the sixth floor and then here you know not even what, 11 minutes later, they mm -hmm. radio in, no, it's a white guy in the same building and he's wearing khakis. So, and then, you know, there was witness James Worrell Jr. He saw a gun, a gun barrel emerge from the sixth floor depository window. Uh, Bonnie Ray Williams. So this, this gal, she's on the fifth floor of the depository. She stated that the rifles report was rapport. Is that how you say that? Report. Rapport? Yeah, the sound. Report was so it was so <clears throat> loud and near that the ceiling plaster fell onto onto the their head. Wow. So I don't know how much of the con the concussion of a firearm. You know, I've only obviously shot them outdoors, so I don't know mm -hmm. what it would do inside of a building, especially a building like this that's probably you know lath and plaster. It's not probably sheetrock yet. You know, like I don't know, right. but. Apparently the the plaster fell from the ceiling. So then, when they're the searching floor. on the fifth floor, yeah. Okay. Um, so then they're searching the sixth floor of the depository, which is where all you know these witnesses said that this rifle barrel appeared out the window. Right. Um, so they found an Italian Carcano Carsano. I'm not sure M91 slash 38 bolt action rifle. Mm-hmm. So that's going to make a lot more sense to the, those of you out there that know guns. But that, that was the <laughs> weapon that they ended up finding. Um, so then they obviously track that back. Oswald had purchased this rifle. Um, so he got it in March. And he actually used the alias A. Hidell, H-I-D-E-L-L. -L, um, mm. And he had it delivered to his Dallas P.O. box. So forensically the fbi ends up finding oswald's partial palm print on the barrel and fibers on the rifle were consistent with those of oswald's shirt hmm. which so would be the found, case if he actually owned it right correct <clears throat> they found some forensic evidence of oswald on this rifle and it was his so yeah. it was it was a it was a legally purchased rifle, but not legally because he used an alias, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it was pretty um, damning evidence that it would be sitting right there at that yeah. uh, particular moment. 
so then like like we said they ended up finding the um bullet on the gurney and then there was two more fragments found in the limousine and those were all ballistically matched to the the this rifle hmm. is it carcano carsano how do you say that c-a-r-c-a-n-o carsano i'm not sure carsano i think carsano which one sounds better i don't know that we'll sounds really fancy Car- to it's me. carsano oh carsano yeah carsano <laughs> i like that <laughs> So Oswald ends up leaving the depository. He travels by bus to back to his boarding house where he's obviously living. He ends up getting a jacket and a re- revolver. And then at 112, um, police officer J.D. Tippett, who we mentioned earlier, he spots Oswald walking in like a residential neighborhood um, mm-hmm. off of, the, I don't know, Oak Cliff area. So he so this then he calls him over to his patrol car, obviously, because this big thing had just happened. After yeah. an exchange of words, then Tippett exited his vehicle. Um, I don't really know what the exchange of words was. It doesn't. I'm sure it's somewhere in some paperwork that had, nobody has put the right FOIA in for. But um, so Tippett ends up getting out of his vehicle, and then Oswald shoots him three times in the chest. Um, mm. So then, as Tippett's laying on the ground, Oswald then walks over and, fi- and fires a final shot into Tippett's right temple. Hmm. Then Oswald calmly walks Wait, away before In, into his so right he temple, walks away all so? calm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, are you drawing lines here? No, are you making was, parallels yeah. in your brain. I might Is it like a curious. beautiful mind in there that's got like strings and tacks? I don't know about that's beautiful. what my brain is doing. It's wild. It's wild it's in wild. there. It's wild. It's wild. It's where the wild there. things grow. To be honest, that's true. So Oswald calmly walks away and then he starts running like as witnesses emerge. So as people start coming out, cause it's a residential neighborhood as people start coming out, then, then he takes off running. Um, they did that. They then did put the Dallas police officers did a roll call of the depository employees, right? So Oswald's supervisor is Roy truly. And he's the one that realizes Oswald's absent. Oswald, the guy that doesn't even work Oswald's here. absent. He's absent. Who's Oswald is probably what he said. <laughs> uh, so he then notifies the police that it was Oswald in the book depository with the rifle. With the Carzano. What, with what the is Carzano. it? Carzano. The Carzano. <laughs> Got him. Uh, Guys, this is tw- literally, the, when he's shooting Tippett, is 12 <laughs> minutes after Kennedy is... Right is pronounced officially dead right to the world mm-hmm. this is when they officially announce it 12 minutes this guy's on he's already uh supposedly shot the president and the thing that he wants to do now and, is and gone back to the boarding house right got he had to get his jacket don't forget he had to get his, he had jacket, to get his jacket and his and, and his, his pistola because you know yeah. when you're after you just got done murdering the president you got you need your jacket Sometimes it you seems like you cold. would be chilly, right? Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be worried about Maybe he was trying to disguise sure. himself, right? Could so he's, be, right? he's running off with this thing 12 minutes after they've said the president's dead. And, yep. and does he know? I don't know. Probably not. If he's involved, uh, does he know I, that they've announced it yet? Does he know that he's I dead? I don't know. So now you've got a guy on the run this official narrative and he gets into this altercation with the police officer. He decides to shoot yeah. him in broad daylight in front in of a, a residential neighborhood, neighborhood full of people. Yeah. yeah. And, and then run so off then, to a, 
Right. So then True. at 1.36, the police were called after a conspicuous Oswald, who was tired from running, was seen sneaking into the Texas theater without paying. <laughs> what? How dare him? How dare him? He gets into the theater without paying. So, ironically, the film War is Hell is playing. Uh, <laughs> and then Dallas policemen then go in and arrest Oswald after a brief struggle in which Oswald drew his fully loaded gun. That yeah. he pulled out of his jacket. He pulled out of his jacket from the boarding house. <laughs> so obviously he denies shooting anyone, claims he was being made a patsy because he lived in the Soviet Union. So here we go back to the Soviet Union, which mm. we'll get into a little bit because there was a lot of stuff politically that was going on that involved the Soviet Union. But for sake of time, let's just do a little bit more on that day and then we're going to pick it up next time with with politically what was going on and what yeah. were some contributing factors and why this this Oswald thought he was being targeted because he'd lived in the Soviet Union. But let's finish out this part. So okay. 1238 is when Kennedy arrives at the emergency room at the hospital. He was still breathing after the shooting and his personal physician, who was George immediately saw that survival was impossible. After Parkland surgeons performed futile cardiac massage, Kennedy was pronounced dead at 1 p.m., 30 minutes after the shooting. And you can actually go on and find this footage of CBS host Walter Cronkite as he broke the news on live television. And he is shook. Folks. Yeah, he's he going to cry. He's like yeah, about it was, to cry. So obviously, uh, because of the head wound... Kennedy had gone into cardiac arrest because, you know, your brain, that's your computer chip. So mm -hmm. um, he was having some trouble there. So he went into cardiac arrest. They tried doing uh, cardiac massage, which if you've never seen this, it, it's basically where they like rip your entire chest open and put their hands into your body cavity and, mm, and manually massage your heart to try to get it beating again. So I'm assuming they had probably used paddles and probably done all of that stuff to begin with, but mm -hmm. they did end up opening him up and trying to do the cardiac massage that way. So the, then the Secret Service, it says that they're concerned about the possibility of a larger plot, obviously. So they kind of urged Johnson to leave Dallas and you know head back to the White House. Johnson had initially refused to do so without any proof of Kennedy's death. So he was like, I'm not getting on this plane and getting sworn in as the president while we're, or were they in, in the air still? Or were they yeah. at the airfield when, when Johnson gets sworn in as president? Yeah, they I were still they were in the air. They no, were, no, no, no. They couldn't have no, been because Jackie was They were on there. the tarmac on Air Force yes. One. But before so that. They weren't they, in the air yet. They had the, you know, the body of, of John F. Kennedy was now pronounced and, and he wanted to move. Uh, on uh, he being Lyndon B. Johnson wanted to move on and get onto the plane, but Jacqueline Kennedy didn't want to leave the side of her husband, and so the idea was as if Lyndon B. Johnson was getting out of there, he was going to have to take this body with him, and that's what they wanted to do anyway, because it was the president right. of the United States, and in their mind, this they didn't is want federal. to leave him at this Dallas hospital. Obviously. Yeah, this is a federal situation, and we need to investigate right. this federally, which of course they would, but right. the the coroner 
the the Dallas coroner was like, no, 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 this is a murder in Dallas County. We uh-huh. are doing the the autopsy. It will. It becomes one of those weird, like who has jurisdiction type of <clears throat> things because mm-hmm. it, it's a federal crime, but it's done in the you know in the city limits of Dallas. So then it falls under their jurisdiction. So it was kind of a nightmare for a little bit as far as. <sighs> How are we going to do this? What's going to happen? Yeah, how are we going to do this? Do we leave? Where do we take him? Where do we put him? You know, like it, it was, was just such kind a of whirlwind. It was an odd, was... and and I felt really bad for his wife because she just looked like she was just like, you know, she's like glazed over, and I'm I just can't even imagine what that would have been like. Um, well, she didn't so, want him to be pronounced dead until the priest was there, and that was very important right. to her because they were right. Catholic and uh, very. And that that then held up Johnson from leaving because he didn't want to leave until he knew for sure that he was dead, and it mm-hmm. so it was kind of this like dominoes of oddities that kind of happened right after that. Um, so let's see, Johnson then he so he gets on Air Force One around one thirty. And then mm-hmm. he ended up getting a, a phone call from a couple of his their advisors that said, "Leave wash leave for Washington D.C. immediately. He's dead." And yeah. so he and said, brain. and at that point was when he said, "I'm not going to leave without Jacqueline Kennedy." And then mm-hmm. and then she was like, "I'm not leaving without my husband's body." So that yeah. was that ripple effect that happened. Um, according to Esquire, Johnson did not want to be remembered as an abandoner of beautiful widows. <laughs> oh my like, gosh. What a freaking weird thing to say. Like <laughs> did such a turn. in a newspaper article <clears throat> that Johnson supposedly said he did not want to be remembered as an abandoner of beautiful widows. Yeah, what an idiot. So, I just thought that was so weird. What about the president's body? Like you don't yes. want to be an abandoner of the president's body. I too, don't want right? to abandon it. Yeah, let's remember the beautiful widow. Let's not remember yeah. the Earl president that was just shot. Right? Let's be clear. Yeah, so there ended up being kind of a heated exchange between you know Kennedy's aides and then the Dallas Dallas officials, like so much so that I, it almost like came to a fist fight. Like they they were just well, the trying secret, to figure out before the basically Service the Texans agent. yielded and and allowed Kennedy's body to leave. Yeah, the one Secret Service agent actually picked up under the armpits the mm-hmm. Dallas coroner and moved him physically out of the way yep. and said, we're, we're leaving. And then we're they, taking him and we're leaving. They took the body around, I think it was like 204 or something like that. He was in the ambulance. He was already in a casket. Right. And this is important for the narrative. This we is very weird. And yes, keep this in mind for later on. He was transported from the hospital to the tarmac. In a casket, correct? Yeah. Yes. And it's like a brownish kind of burgundy, a nicer looking casket, one that you and would pretty. see. It, it a, was pretty. Yeah. A normal, a normal casket yeah. that you would see somebody in, you know, with the top. Like, like you go to the funeral home and you pick that out later on. You don't transport yeah. a body that's just been through and hasn't been autopsied yet. Yeah. Like there's very specific chain of custody things that have to happen for a body. Like it just is very weird. Um, so at so 2.38. Oh, go ahead. Excuse me. No, I was just going to say. So he's in this casket, and they take him through the back channels. They get him. They get mm-hmm. him on there, and they're beelining it to to the 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 airport because they have to get on um, the planes and get out of there. Right. And everybody's saying you guys got to leave Dallas now. 
So then at 2.38, with Jackie Kennedy by his side, Johnson is then administered the oath of office. And I haven't actually run this by you, but is it weird that there happened to be a federal judge there to admit it? Because it can't just be anybody that administers yeah. the oath of office, right? It has to, So mm-hmm. there happens to be federal judge Sarah Tillman Hughes, who's on board Air Force One mm. and, and, and basically swears him into office. Interesting. With How Kennedy's did she coffin. get there? He's there at that time. Yeah. 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 And the, okay, the fact so, that you're making his wife, and this is just sick to me, but when, when we go through the narrative and we get to the end of this, we're going to realize how gross this is that they're mm-hmm. making her stand it gets there sicker. they're making her stand there after her husband's just been murdered and and be a, a political puppet basically because what lyndon b johnson wants in this moment is he wants the american people to see him as a legit president right <clears throat> and that he's he's supported by the kennedys you know she's what's right. left of, of the kennedy um Royal family, not royal family. What do legacy, they call it? Yeah, this yeah. whole this whole presidential legacy, and so she wants, she want he wants her to be there to show the support for him, like, which is gross. Smile for the camera. <clears throat> yeah, in that moment, yeah. this is not about you right now at this right. moment, dude. Like she's she's having a hard time right now. You should let her just go right. be with her husband's body and just right. grieve. But no, they have to do this freaking dog and pony show on Air Force mm-hmm. One. He had to be, you know, because they were, you know, how they do. It's national security. I have to be the president right now. You know, mm-hmm. where whereas they already have a chain of command. They already have. like Right. He doesn't need to be sworn in right now. That's not how it works. And it, and they it wasn't just that he was like sworn in. It was like, I mean, they had they, they gathered photographers like. You know, they, they, it was this whole like dog and pony show. It wasn't just, yeah. like Rick said, there is protocol for if the president is assassinated, obviously the vice president is going to be the acting president at that point, right? So this that's already whole in the policy. thing, that's, it's already written out. Everybody <laughs> already knows that. So why did they happen to have a federal judge that just so happened to be able to swear him into office on the tarmac on Air Force One with Jackie Kennedy? And JFK in a coffin. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, guys. It's just. Okay, so we have a lot more to go over with the autopsy, but I'm just going to do a really quick browse over and then we'll be done for for this episode. Um, Yeah, let's do it. So President Kennedy's autopsy ends up being performed at Bethesda Naval Hospital, which is in Maryland. Mm -hmm. It's on the night of November 22nd. Jacqueline Kennedy, so she had selected the Naval Hospital as the post-mortem site as President Kennedy had been a Naval officer, obviously, during World War II. So -hmm. at some point, they must have asked her, where do you want us to take his body? I'm not sure. Or if they just said, we're going to take him to Bethesda Naval Hospital. Is that okay? Like, I don't really know how that obviously went down. But he ends up at Bethesda Naval Hospital (laughs) in Maryland. Then there, So there's three physicians that are... And again, this is according to the official narrative. Keep that in mind. So there's three physicians that are um, conducting the autopsy. Naval commanders James Humes and J. Thornton Boswell. So those are the two naval commanders. And then they have the assistance of a ballistics wound expert, Pierre Fink. Mm-hmm. But it was actually, so it was Humes that was uh, leading the procedure. But those were the three physicians that were there. 
And then it says further, a little bit further down, it says under pressure from Kennedy, the Kennedy family and White House staffers to expedite the procedure, the physician conducted a rushed and incomplete autopsy. So the Kennedy family, it's it's quite obvious (laughs) what he died of. He was shot, right? So we already Mm -hmm. know that he's, you know, died from a gunshot wound to the head or the throat or both or whatever you want to say. I just, why do you think that there was pressure from the Kennedy family and the White House staffers to expedite the autopsy on the president? Like, shouldn't this be done in a very methodical, mm-hmm. you know, like dot your I's and cross your T's, like you're going to do it by the book? I guess I just don't understand why they were trying to expedite, or was that just something that they put in there for funsies? What do you think? Yeah, I, it's very hard for me to think that the Kennedys would want it to be expedited. I, you would think that if your your brother slash husband slash whatever nephew, you would think that if he was just murdered, you would want a detailed and long right. investigation. I, like, I don't care how long it takes you. You guys can be up all night if you have to. I want to know exactly what happened. But it, yeah. So don't don't rush don't rush through my husband's autopsy. I'm putting this on the record right now. Don't rush through my husband's autopsy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I ever die, guys, Kristen does guys, not want. We are not rushing. We're not rushing an autopsy with Rick. Let's just be clear. Nope. <clears throat> so, so this it is a, ended up being, a suspect thing. Yes, it is. And, you know, keep that in mind, obviously, for later. But um, it ended up being Kennedy's personal physician, Rear Admiral George Berkeley, who signed the death certificate on November 23rd. And at that point, once you sign the death certificate, so you can have whoever Joe Schmo fill it out, but once you, as the physician, sign the death certificate, then that becomes the official cause of death. So the official cause of death was listed as a gunshot wound to the skull. Hmm. Um, three years after the autopsy, Kennedy's brain, which had been removed and preserved for later analysis. Mm-hmm. Weird. Uh, this is going to really get you. It was missing. So the, his, his actual brain or what was left of it was found to be missing when the Kennedy family transferred material to the national archives. It's Mm -hmm. gone. It's not there. They can't find his Mm -hmm. brain. Weird. Um, so conspiracy theorists, I love how they have to put this in when they're tying a a nice pretty bow around this package. So Mm -hmm. they said then conspiracy theorists often claim that the brain may have shown that the headshot and was entered from the front. Oh, geez. Wait, you mean you can't take a brain and flip it around? It's not the same on both sides. It's not like Rubik's Mm -hmm. cube. I think so. Yeah. So then it's got, um, the assistant to attorney general, Robert F. Kennedy, the president's brother. Mm-hmm. This is what they said. Uh, he likely removed the footlocker holding the brain and other materials at his direction, and he either destroyed these materials or otherwise rendered them inaccessible to prevent mm-hmm. misuse of said material or to hide the extent of the president's chronic illnesses and consequent medications. It's so full of crap. It's so ridiculous. So, and then also dot dot dot. Some autopsy X-rays and photographs have also been lost. <laughs> Whoops! So as you guys, we made can a boo boo. This is like a fully suspicious from minute yeah. one of this whole thing. From minute one, yep. I mean, it's really off. This whole thing is really off, and we're going to get into the scope of how off it really is, and you, mm-hmm. it's going to blow your mind. 
Because they're the yep. official narrative is telling you right now that there is one shooter and three bullets, and one of those bullets has some magical properties that can make it do Very. all kinds of crazy things. And, and can make it reform and, into a perfect match. Right. We already have the um all of the doctors at Parkland got a very good look at everything that was going mm -hmm. on with him. Got a very good look at his skull, got a very good look at his neck uh wound, got a very good look at all all of that. And they were able to see and document in a very uh, professional Way you have to remember, these guys are dealing with the president of the United States. This day changed right. their lives. These well, guys. Well, if you don't that think that those guys Parkland. puckered up their butt a little bit when they realized they had to fill out all this paperwork for the president of the United States that just got yeah. shot on their on, on their uh, shift, they, <laughs> yeah. these guys were doing everything by the book. Like they they were keeping track of everything. And then we'll go into on the next episode. Some of the weirdness that ended up happening with those doctors and mm -hmm. more about the autopsy stuff. Yeah, it's a wild ride, guys, and we just only begun. And the reason that we're yeah. doing this in three parts is because there is so much. And so obviously right. this one, some of you may have been bored and been like, guys, we already know all of this. Well, you have to consider that there's this was a long time ago. This is 60 years right. ago. And there's a lot of people that don't remember these intricate details, you know. And so as we begin to build this this narrative and, and then break apart the narrative, you can't really break apart the narrative if you can't remember what actually the official narrative is. And so that's why right. we like to do it this way, to build this scaffolding. Uh, scaffolding so that we can begin to then go into the conspiracy things and the reasons why we believe that this was set up by the government um right to to orchestrate a hit on our own yeah. our own president which is just well and and just you know when you evil. guys hear some of the stuff politically that was going on at that time with him specifically with him and the Soviet Union which is mm. and and Cuba obviously you've got what Bay of Pigs and the Cuban Missile Crisis yeah. and all that stuff and, and smashed in there too it's a nice Kennedy yeah. sandwich yeah Kennedy had a lot of opposition coming his yeah. way I mean from from the minute that he got into office he was public enemy number one mm -hmm. because he wanted to change the world he didn't want to change America he well, he's this young guy that's vibrant and, you know, you've got all these old crotchety politicians that were probably like, oh, who's the new guy in town? You know, you don't you don't know anything about this place. And I, I imagine that what it would have been like back then. Yeah. But, but that we weren't obviously alive at that time. So we had to, you know, lay the groundwork of the official narrative just so mm -hmm. that, you know, I obviously we all know did not pay attention in school at all. So not me. I'm not even sure how I passed my history test, but I did. <laughs> so congratulations to the school district. You guys got squeaked one through because <laughs> I don't, I don't really remember hardly anything. So yeah, it was, Kristen you know. should not have graduated. Let's be clear. She should not. Have <laughs> you know graduated. what? But then I went to nursing school and what happened? I graduated with honors from nursing school, but yeah. I didn't go till I was 30. So <laughs> I actually cared about the school at that time and I was paying for it. So that's right. A little different motivation, I guess. 
Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this kind of laying the groundwork, laying the foundation of yeah. what we're going to be doing and talking about for the next two episodes. And uh, let's just say it's only going to get better from here. You guys are going to be shocked and appalled at all of the things yeah. that are actually out there. Um, the amount of evidence that is piled up against this Warren Commission and these people and all their lies and all of their deceit and all of that, it's all there. You just got to dig. Yeah. And we have. Guess what? We well, have. and we have we have the benefit of, uh, you know, it being 60 years later. So there have been a lot of people that have filled out those FOIA um, mm -hmm. forms and, and they, we know, they've been able to get a lot of stuff. But same with all of these other false flags we've done, guys, most of this stuff is redacted. So yeah. if you want to go on and read thousands of pages of, of all of this, it's there, but it's so tedious because it's so heavily redacted. It'll be, it'll, it would be like, you know, blank walked up to blank at blank time. And, you know, you, it's, they, yeah. they do that on purpose, but, but there's enough information if you know what you're looking for to find it. Yep. And we're going to get the into it. Of having technology and being mm -hmm. 60 years later. That's right. So guys, stay tuned. Thank you for uh, hanging out with us. Uh, we know mm -hmm. that, you know, sometimes this can be mind numbing, you know, trying to remember mm -hmm. all this information and getting into that. We're trying to give it to you in bite sized pieces so that you can digest it, figure it out. Yeah. Come next week. We're going to have a lot more. So be ready because we're going to get into be the political ready. side of things and what the uh, climate looked like at that time and how yeah. it is that we got to this point. So with that, we are That So Fringy Podcast and we are going to get out of here, but we will see you guys on the next. But until then, stay fringy, Bye. my friends. Bye.